Good morning. How's everybody? Good. Uh, if I haven't gotten to meet you yet, my name is John Crockett, with the teaching pastor here. Thanks for being here today as we kick off a new year. Am I right? Yeah. Because yeah. let's be honest, it's really a new year. January 1st? No, it's when school starts. Right? That's a new year to most of us, right? So as we think about a new year, we begin a new sermon series called Life Undone. And I want you to think about what are, what's going on in your life? How are things going? Right? If you had to rate your life between 1 to 10, what would you say? Even on your bulletin outline, you could actually circle those. And what's going on in your world? The other thing you can answer is this question. What are the things that you'd want to get done this year? Right? What are the things that you want to get done? What are the new things or the better things that you want to get done? But here's what I've learned. is often when we want to get new things done... It requires us to undo some old things. Am I right? Let's think about it. If you're a student and you're starting in school and you go, man, what I really want to get done this year, I want to get better grades. Well, you can't just start with getting better grades. You need to actually start with undoing the bad study habits that you had last year. Undoing the bad sleep habits or bad homework habits you had last year. Say this year it's about finances for you, and you say, you know what, I really want to get done. I want to get all my bills and my credit cards done. Well, that's not going to happen unless you undo some of your bad spending habits or lack of saving habits. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you go, I really want to fix that friendship, or I really want my relationship, my marriage, my, my relationship with my kids to be better. Well, that might require some undoing of some hurts and some pains of the past through forgiveness. I think about my own life, and there were some folks that I consider family that did something that really hurt me. It was for their own gain and uh, for their own protection, and it really, really hurt me to the point that I said, I want nothing to do with them ever again. And I looked at my family, and I realized it's really not the most helpful thing for my family. It's not really what's going to be best for us. And so I jumped in. I said, you know what? I want to get this done. I want to make this relationship better, and so I'm going to just jump back in. And we, uh, I went to a big family function that, with all of them, and my hope was just being there and everything will just be fine, right? The problem was I didn't undo the hurts of the past. I didn't undo what had been done through forgiveness. I really hadn't taken the time to do that. And so here I am sitting at this big family function, hoping to get things done, hoping to have better, friends or better relationships with them. And instead I kind of sat there paralyzed because those hurts and those pains were still there. For you, what would it be? What are those things that you want to get done this year? But then think through, what, are, what is it that you need to get undone in order to get the new things, the better things, done? Because often we need to undo the other old things, the, the bad things in life, the things that aren't healthy for us, things that aren't good for us. We need to undo those things in order to leave room for the good and the new and the healthier things in our lives. And that's what we're looking at as we look at this series, Life Undone, as we go through this, this whole month. is we're going to look at this idea that there are things in our lives and not just in our financial, our social, our relational lives, but even in our spiritual lives that need to actually get undone. Now you remember the phrase, now this is from a very, very, very long time ago, back all the way back when I was a kid, as Anna pointed out, it was a very long time ago. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. But there was this phrase called WWJD. Remember that? It was, what would Jesus do? Well, our question more for this series is before Jesus can do what he needs to do, he needs to undo some things. So our question really is, what would Jesus undo in your life? What would he be doing right now and say, you know what, you need to undo this, or we need to fix this, we need to take this out of your life. It's really not what's best for you. If you think about it, this is how Jesus handles our whole spiritual life. Before he does the great thing of giving us eternal life, 
before he does the great things of giving us hope and peace and contentment, he undoes the bad in our life, right? He gives us forgiveness. He gives us a completely new life in him. He undoes all those bad things that we've done. He undoes all the good things we haven't done. He gives us that forgiveness and that grace. And now we can receive all that he wants to do in our lives. And if you hear this, as we kind of dive into this series, I want you to hear this, that this is something that we are all in together. We can all sit here and think about things in our past that we would like to undo. Yes? Yes. Many of you are like, in the past. Does that count like this morning? Because there are things I would undo this morning. Here's the thing. In this, in this world that we live in, in this country, we are so blessed. We have so many things we've been given, so many things, so many resources that we have, that often I think one of the things that we struggle with the most is truly needing Jesus. When you think about your life, so much seems to be in our control. We have so many resources, so much money, so many things that we we go, you know what, I have the American dream, that's all I want. I'm going after the American dream, it's what I can work for, it's what I can make happen. I mean, I need a little Jesus sprinkled in for like some seasoning in good measure. Right? We like Jesus, we might even love Jesus, but so very rarely do we need Jesus. Except for when those times come that are outside of our control. A tragedy strikes. We have a sickness that doctors can't figure out, that medicine can't heal the loss of a loved one, those times in our life where things are so out of our control, and what happens then? Then we need Jesus, don't we? Then we fall to our knees and we worship Jesus and we call out to him, we need you, we need you. It's what I call the click-click time. If you don't know what that is, that's okay, Uh, you shouldn't. But it's from my youngest son, Ethan. You'll see him flying in a picture here. This is what Ethan does. Ethan, after he gets in trouble... He didn't listen. He didn't follow through. He wasn't listening to the words that we were trying to help him with, right? And he gets in trouble. He has consequences to his actions. And he'll come up, Daddy, Daddy, click, click. I turn my ears on now. I turn my ears on now. I'm listening now. Click, click, Daddy. I I hear you now. Don't get me in trouble anymore. I click, click, I hear. Right? And what happens? So many times in these times when we click, click. Go, God, okay, I hear you now. I hear that I need you. I need you in my life. I need what you offer me. But really, we need him our whole life. But so often we have so much of everything else that I wonder, how much do we really need Jesus? So we think about this idea of how much we have. If If I asked you this question, or if I if I told you, even without asking, if I just told you you are rich, what would you say? Yeah, some of you know where I'm going, so you're lying to me. <laughs> Most of you would go, yeah, I wish. I wish I were rich, right? I wish. Here's $2, two United States $1 bills. Nobody came and got them. <laughs> Nobody ran forward for two bucks. Really? Nobody? You know why? You're rich. You're rich. Do you realize that $2, that's what most people in the world, most people in the world, that's what they earn for an entire day's worth of work. That's what they live on, $2 a day. None of you came running. You know why? Because for most of you, that's less than 15 minutes worth of work. Nobody came to get it. Nobody came to get it at the last service either. There was even two little kids in the front row. They were like, mm, no. <laughs> we're good. 
But you know what I mean? It just means we're, we're very blessed. We have so much. And if you want to know how much you have, you can go to this website. It's called globalrichlist.com. It's amazing to me. What I did, I just plugged in, so $19,240. That's the annual income that I plugged in. And that is based on uh, Michigan minimum wage right now. So if you made minimum wage full-time, that's what you would make in a year. And you would be in the top 4% of the richest in the world at minimum wage. If you go to, Michi- uh, you go to globalrichlist.com, and not only do you see how rich you are, but you, you can see all these comparisons to us in the world and how much we truly have. You're richer than 96% of the world. And I get it, it's so often we get so wrapped up in what we can control and we can make this happen and we can, you know, we, we can keep our lives in order and together and it's because, man, we're a lot, well, a lot more well off than we realize. We have a lot more control than, than most. So we're, we don't feel as desperate. Here's what I would point out to you is we really are and we may even be more desperate than the other 96%. See, there was another town that Jesus talked to that I would say is very similar to us. It was a town that was very confident, very wealthy, and it's very independent. It's called Laodicea. Laodicea is an ancient town that had a lot of resources, a lot of natural resources that a lot of the other areas didn't have. They had a black wool uh, that still is found in that area today that they would make special garments with. They had an eye salve that uh, they would put on eyes like an eye ointment that would help uh, heal many different diseases and issues. They had their own medical center uh, right within the town's walls where many would not, uh, many towns didn't have that sort of education or help or training. They were very independent. They, 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 They got this. They were so independent that at one point their entire town was destroyed through an earthquake. And the federal government at the time, Rome, reached in and said, hey, we'll give you some help. We'll help you to rebuild. You know what they said? Now we've got this. We've got this. And they rebuilt their entire city all on their own. Right? They got it. They, they took care of everything. Now the one thing they didn't have, the one thing they didn't have was their own water source. They didn't have their own water source, but they figured that out as well. They built aqueducts. Uh, aqueducts to bring in, they brought in uh, hot healing waters from the north and cool and refreshing waters from the south. Now here's what I want you to think about. Uh, hot and healing waters, those you know, really hot water that travels over miles to get somewhere. What do you think it's like after it reaches a destination? Not very hot or healing anymore, right? Now, cool and refreshing waters. It actually traveled six miles in aqueducts from the south. After it traveled six miles in aqueducts, how do you think it was? Yeah, not very good. We'd, we'd probably call it lukewarm. You ever had one of those opportunities where, where you, you were so thirsty and you saw that drinking fountain, it was like an oasis in the desert, and you ran up to you like, oh, yay, and you hit that button, but it was on one of the unrefrigerated ones where it didn't cool the water. You know what I'm talking about. And you bend down and you go, no, it's water, but it's just not what you were looking for. It's not refreshing. It's not cool. It's just lukewarm. It almost turns your stomach. It's not what you wanted. It's not what you had hoped for. So there's something that they couldn't solve. There's one thing that they couldn't handle. And Jesus used this to try to teach them something. If you've ever heard the story of Laodicea, that's okay. We're going to take a look at it today. It's in Revelation chapter 3. In your chair Bibles that are either underneath your chair in the front row or in front of you in the rest of the rows is on page 1030. If you're at home with us uh, watching online, uh, thanks so much for joining in with us. Make sure you go to BibleGateway.com. You can look at it on that webpage as well or on your own Bibles. If you have the Bible app, that's another option. So Revelation chapter 3, 
Start with verse 14. Here's the thing. Laodicea was in a very wealthy and independent town, which meant the church that was part of Laodicea was the same way. That sort of idea and that way of life, that way of being independent and taking care of itself crept into the church. And so here's, here's what was written. It says, starting with verse 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now I want you to get this. Amen. Amen means let it be so. That's why we say it at the end of a prayer. It's like, yes, let it be. But you know who God's Amen is? Jesus. Jesus is God's amen to a world that needed him and his redemptive plan. Jesus was the let it be so. And so when it talks about that these are the words of the amen, it's saying these are the words of Jesus that he's writing to Laodicea. I know your works. You are neither hot or, or cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Does that sound familiar? The hot and cold? He's using something that they understand. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Again, he's using something that they understand. You're used to these hot and cold waters, the the hot water that's no longer healing, the cold water is no longer refreshing. And he says, I would spit you out of my mouth. And this is one of the times where the Bible's been cleaned up for you. If if you ever notice, the Bible's pretty clean, and it shouldn't be. And if we would actually read what some of these words really say, uh, you would probably write letters to Pastor Tim and say, that guy needs to be fired. He said a bad word in church. But Jesus is really saying, I would vomit you. I would rather vomit you out than to have you be lukewarm. It says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He's pointing out, you think you have everything. You think you're completely independent. But oh my child, you are so dependent. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. It's a comparison. Again, he's using what they know. It's not the black clothes that you have. I have the white garments that are cover you up. It's not the, the junk salve that you sell. It's, instead, it's real ointment that's going to truly anoint you and heal you. That's what I offer. I offer something real. And I love how he ends this. He says, to those I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Jesus loves, and so he disciplines. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. What I love about how he ends there was not only the fact that he's saying, look, I know I'm disciplined, I know I'm coming at kind of the heart of the matter with you, and I'm being real with you, but it's because I love you. And get this, if you knock, or if I, when I knock, if you answer the door, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring you even more. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you myself. This is the way our Jesus loves us. And when I think about my boys at home, I can't help but to think about them in this case. When they're doing something unsafe or not good for them, if I really love them, do I sit back and I go, well... I really want them to be happy. I'll just let them do what they want to do. Or do I sit back and I go, well, you know, I, don't, I really want them to like me, so I'm not going to yell at them right now. I'm just going to let them do what they want to do. Even if they get hurt, so I just want them to have, do what they want. No, do I do that? No. No, because I love them. So I go, stop it. <laughs> and I yell at them, and I give them consequences, and I care about them enough because 
I love them and I want what's best for them. I think about my, my middle child, Lucas, who honestly, um, this is him at, at the same birthday party where my other one was flying. And he is usually so happy-go-lucky and just kind of a warm and cuddly kid. Except for these last couple months, he's been a pain. He will not listen to anything. And he, decide, he decided that his new sport is to jump over our dogs and to backflip off of our couches. And so I shared with him, I said, well, it's not very safe uh, for you or the dog to jump over the dogs, because if you land on the dogs, you're going to hurt the dogs, and then the dogs will hurt you, because they're dogs. And if you backflip off of our couches, we have very sharp corners on our coffee table, you're going to backflip, and you're going to put your head into that, and there'll be no more Lucas, and that will make me sad. So please stop doing that. You know what he did? He jumped over the dog and backflipped off the couch again. And so I said, so I gave him way too much information. I said, Lucas, it appears to me that you are just much too tired to follow the instructions that I gave to you. So that means you'll be going to bed early tonight. You know what he said? He said, that's fine. That's what I want anyway. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. <laughs> and so he did it again. So I said, Lucas, apparently you're very tired. So you're going to be going even extra early. That's fine. That's what I want. That's what he wanted until it was time to go to bed early. <laughs> and then what happens? Then comes the harsh words. Then comes, you're so mean. You don't love me, Daddy. Why are you making me? No, don't make me go to bed early. And then I look at him. I, in my head, I want to just say, Lucas, do you know what I give for you? Do you know what I do every single day to make your life possible? Do you realize that when you and your brother came to live with us, I went from being, like having no kids at home and a wonderful life <laughs> to having a two and a four-year-old within hours and the cameras are on, so end a wonderful life. Do you realize what I, had to, what I have to do for you every single day to give you the life that you have, to deal with this, to help you? Do you realize that? Now, do I say that to him? Of course not. He's a kid. He doesn't get that. He thinks my whole existence is for him. <laughs> so instead, I say, but Lucas, I just love you. I love you too much to let you keep doing things that are going to hurt you. And so I need to help you learn these things. And sometimes that means consequences happen or you have to feel the effects of what the, the wrong things are that you're doing. Sorry, son, you got to go to bed. And then I look at our lives. Look at our lives and how often we, we live our lives and we go, you know what, I've got this. I'm in control. I can take care of everything. You know, I need a little God sprinkled in, but really I just, I don't really need him. I, I just have him on, on standby. But, you know, I got this. I, I can take care of this. I got my American dream. I can work hard. And I keep listening to the world around me and I keep doing things the way the world wants me to do. And then what happens? I end up over here where, in a time where I can't control things. I can't fix them. And then I cry out to God, God, why? Why would you let this happen? Why is this going on right now? I can only imagine our God going, you're lukewarm. Do you realize? Do you realize in your indifference towards me? Do you realize the love that I have for you? Do you realize what I do for you every single day to make sure that you're taken care of? Do you realize every single day, do you realize what I've done for you to bring you into my family? I can just imagine the God of ours, the Father of us all, 
who looks at us heartbroken, stomach turned by the fact that we could look at him indifferently, all because we think we've got it. And then we get to those click-click moments where we think, oh, now I've got to reach out to God. Now I need him. So often in our lives, we have so much that we really don't need Jesus. And it breaks his heart. It turns his stomach. That was his message for Laodicea then. That is his message for you and for me today. As we look at our lives, as we look to planning our lives and taking care of the things in our lives, our families, our budgets, our schedules, everything that we have that begins right now. Our God is saying, please don't relegate me to the click-click moments. Don't relegate me to those times in your life where you just feel out of control. Let me be a part of it all. Have the on-fire faith for me every single day because I can bless you every single day. Here's what Jesus was telling Laodicea. He says, you think you're rich, you think you have it all, but I have more for you. I have more that I can give you. I have more that I can do for you. You think what the world gives us something, I have even greater for you. The peace and the hope and the contentment, the love and the joy that I have that you can experience, that is greater than it all. That's what you can have. If you just let me in. You don't just treat me as an accessory or a seasoning. This is what our God says to them. And this is what our God says to you. And I get it. I, I fail at this all the time because when you think about your own life, think about the things that you're doing right now, setting budgets and schedules. How many times do you start with prayer or Bible study? How many times do you even start with the thought of, man, what would God want for me here? I don't. I start looking at dollars and cents and moving things around and making sure that you know, everything's going to pay itself off and we're going to you know, get everything taken care of and keeping up with the Joneses and keeping up with everything that we want to keep up with. What about our schedules? Put everything in first because I have to do this and I have to do this. The world tells me this. Everybody else puts pressure on. I got to do this and I got to do that. How many times do I start with saying, God, what more do you want from me? This is what I would challenge you with today. This is what I would challenge me with today. This is what Jesus was challenging Laodicea with. Is asking yourself, what more does Jesus want from me? As you spend time in this new season of life, as you spend time thinking ahead with your finances, what if you actually stopped and prayed that prayer first as a family and said, what more does Jesus want for us? Maybe. Maybe it's to cut back on things that you don't really need to be able to give it away and experience the joy that he has for you in that. Or maybe as you look at your family schedule, that you sit down as a family and you pray first. You say, Lord, help us to see where we need to cut back. Help us to see where we need to say yes to some things and no to others. Help us to do what you would call us to do. Because God, we want to be on fire for you in every aspect of our lives. So Jesus, what more do you want from me? Maybe it's that you come to church every week. Maybe it's that you take those 15 minutes in the evening instead of checking your emails for work one more time that you read a Bible story together as a family or you pray together. 
Maybe for you it's not even about coming to church, but maybe now it's coming to church for two hours instead of just one, so you can attend a Bible study and get, grow deeper and grow more in your faith and your knowledge of this love that God has for you. Maybe for you as a family it's saying no to something so you actually have time to be together as a family. Families are always amazed at challenges of saying no to sports schedules. Families are terrified of coaches. I don't know what's wrong with, you know, they're terrified of them. No, the coach said we had to have soccer practice 9 a.m. on Sunday. Say no. You know what happens? There'll be another family that'll go, oh, they said no. We can say no too. No, we don't want to do that. We want to go to church too. No, that's our family time. We don't want to, go, we don't want to come either. And guess what happens? The coach won't have a team, so they'll move it. So as you get together and you talk through these things and you try and figure them out, and guess what? Even if he doesn't move it, what more does Jesus want for you? What more does Jesus want for you in your finances, in your schedule, for your families? As you look at your life, and it's so easy to get complacent in the indifference of our faith, to think, well, as long as I got my life together, it's going to be okay. As long as it just looks okay. As long as it looks like I have all the pieces in place. But our God is saying, I have so much more for you. So much more. So as you leave today, as you begin this journey of this season, I want you to think about that. Do you have so much of everything else that you barely need Jesus? Or do you have so much of Jesus that you barely need anything else? And what could you do in your life to ask yourself that question? Jesus, what more do you want from me? And where can you begin to live your life in a way that's no longer lukewarm, but it's on fire for him? On fire for him every single day. Not just in the tragedies, not just in the trials and the troubles, not just in the times where you go, click, click, I'm listening now, God. But instead where you could hear from him every day and know that he has a love for you and a desire for you and a hope for you and for your life that is bigger than and greater than anything you could ever hope or dream or imagine. That's what our God wants for you. And that's why today and every day our Lord Jesus wants to undo your indifference, to undo your lukewarmness, and to experience the hot healing waters and the cool refreshing waters that he has for you. Waters that will carry you today and always. And our Lord Jesus is going to do that again even this morning. As we prepare for communion, we're going to turn to him and we're going to confess our sins to him. And the good news is our God reaches out and he undoes those sins. Through his forgiveness, through his grace and his mercy, he gives us his forgiveness and then he prepares us for what he's about to do. Give us his very body and his very blood in with and under the bread and the wine to heal us, to renew us, to give us hope, to give us healing, to give us faith and restoration. Because that's the business our God is in. So let's pray to him right now as he does his work. Father God, we come to you so grateful. So grateful for the message that you sent to Laodicea. So grateful for the message that you send to us. That God, you have even more in store for us. God, you are knocking at the door of our hearts, of our families, of our schedules, of our budgets, of our finances. God, let us open those doors to you. That you may come into every one of those situations and eat with us and be with us and be a part of everything that makes up our life.
Because God, you are everything. And God, right now, I know we all have struggled and we all have failed to do what needs to be done, to keep you at the center of it all, to keep an on-fire faith for you. God, we have relegated you to some outside source of our lives so often where we love you and we like you, but we don't really need you. And God, we are so sorry. God, in these moments of silence, I ask you to hear our confession as we confess to you those wrong things that we've done and those good things that we've left undone. God, hear from us now as we turn them over to you.